This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. Yeah, so what do you do when... um People have been trained in this code word inerrancy, yeah. which they typically don't even yeah. they don't even really actually yeah. know what it means or where it comes from. Yeah, what what is your go to like your quick answer for inerrancy? Uh, I usually say I don't love the I'm not in love with the word because we have to figure out what we're talking about when we do you know how are we going to define that and what does that word mean? What does it mean for you when you're asking that question? And what do you is there mm. a, something beyond the word inerrancy you're really asking about those kind of things? Uh, for me, I usually just say i i believe the word of god is like unlike anything else i think it's there's an it's not just a piece of literature i believe in the inspiration i love the word inspiration i love the idea of god breathed that Mm. however this got to us however this was redacted however this was put together like the its source its origin somehow in the mix is of god i love pete ends inspiration and incarnation i think it's a great uh read but um, that's usually where I, I even open the book. Uh, that first chapter of my book was kind of a, um, I, I didn't intend that chapter, but I opened with mm-hmm. this, like, I believe in the inspiration of the Bible and the Lordship of Jesus. Like, <laughs> let's start there. Right. That's my open. And it was a weird opening chapter, but it felt really good because once we've got that confidence, well now, okay, well now let's ask questions, all of them. Let's ask yeah. all the questions. Because um, I'm confident that the Bible is where I can plant my feet, and I'm confident in the power of the person of Jesus. So we're going to be okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, I've, I've worked with a lot of Jewish biblical scholars and philosophers over the last decade and a half, and. Um, I did not realize that in the until I started working with Jewish scholars that in the Jewish tradition, they are much more open to asking hard questions of the oh, biblical sure. text than I think uh, evangelicals are on the whole. Uh, and in fact, it's almost expected that you kind of rigorously investigate. I mean, their entire midrash or, or t- Talmudic uh, commentaries that are doing nothing but asking common sense questions right. of the text, right? Um, and so, do you find that? Uh, is that a selling point? Because I, you know, I typically say like, "Hey, I've, this is what I've learned from my Jewish colleagues." Um, is the the openness to the text, or do you find that <laughs> t- I don't know how to put this politely, but saying this is a very this is very common in the Jewish tradition? Does that put people off? You know, does that actually make it uh, under a cloud of suspicion? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, um, man, maybe depending on the room, I don't get a ton of pushback on that. When I was like a long time ago, pastoring in churches, maybe, and maybe it's because I found a, a, a niche in an area where people are expecting that maybe, but I don't mm. feel like the, if anything, I'm always pushing back against appropriationism, like, a, like let's not mm-hmm. appropriate the Jewish faith. Like let's, let's learn from it, but let's, let's not, you know, grab it and take it as our own. I feel like that's the fight that I'm, I'm fighting more often mm. than you know, well, but, but the Jews didn't get Jesus. Like that used to be the thing 15 Mm -hmm. years ago, I felt like was the most common. Why are we doing the Jewish stuff? They don't even understand who Jesus is versus today. It's, it's far more of the, okay, slow down. 
we're not Jews. I mean, predominantly most of us that I'm talking to and working with in an evangelical setting. So before we go build right. a sukkah and, and throw a Seder meal, like let's pause for a moment and put this in its proper place. Yeah. Uh, so, so in those contexts, you don't, you don't mean uh, people who are diving into the Talmud and, and studying day. You're really talking about the practices yeah. of, of synagogal practices and festivals. Yeah, I can remember Ray at one point saying it's very easy to take on the form of Judaism without the substance. And mm. as soon as we start waking up and becoming aware to this Jewishness of Jesus and the Jewish roots of our story. And it's very easy to now go, Oh, and I'm going to do festivals and I might eat kosher and maybe I'll even wear tassels and whatever, but mm. without really catching the substance of the covenant itself. And what does that all mean? And what does it mean to be Torah observant and why and who, and who am I? And where do I fit in that? Especially within the new Testament theology. And anyway, those, those are, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you mentioned Ray, which is Ray Vanderlaan, uh, a famous pastor out of Michigan, and um, I it, I do have this this question that I always kind of puzzle through. And uh, one of my uh, a friend, I'll flex a friend of mine, uh, Tom Wright, in Ooh, England. I know uh, that name. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, <laughs> some people do. Not everybody does. But well, you um, call him Tom. Some, some people, people don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's ex- <laughs> exactly exactly. So, but that's how everybody knows yeah. him as Tom. Uh, but you know we've had these discussions uh, about whether there's a little bit too much grinding of Judaism through Second Temple Judaism, and what's Jewish versus what I might separate out as Hebrew. Um, and in some ways, that you know Torah obeisance. Uh, uh, sorry, we got we got nerdy very quickly here. <laughs> I like uh, that. I like that. <laughs> but the idea of what does it mean to obey the Torah takes on a very definitive shape just prior to Jesus that I'm not quite sure would have been true in the exile or post-exile or even pre-exilic uh, uh, in, in the exact same way that it's you know captured in Hellenistic Judaism, that in between uh, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So when you say Jewish, I'm wondering, like, how do you delineate yeah, that? Yeah, and that's a... Sorry, that's a, that's a huge uh, question. And, and, and there's more awareness in that question than 99% of the time I'm asked that. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think that's honestly where I'm at struggling in my own walk, to be honest. I'm a part of a hmm. – I, I used to always like kind of push against any kind of Messianic Jewish identification. Hmm. I still kind of do just generally. I think Messianic Judaism had this huge explosion. We became aware of it through the 70s and almost more of a Pentecostal whatever. And now I've just become more aware. I'm in more – I mean, I don't deserve to be there, but I am in more academic Messianic circles today, um, and they're helping me realize that there's a wider world to Messianic Jewish scholarship, and I appreciate that. But all it's done is made me like, gosh, this is super complicated because hmm. Judaism yeah. went on this 2,000-year evolution. Christianity went on a 2,000-year evolution. We People like me have this Jewish ethnicity, so but we're not. I mean, I don't fall under rabbinic halakha. I'm not Jewish in the sense that I'm that any Orthodox Jew is going to be like, yeah, you're doing Judaism. At the same time, I'm trying to ed, like figure out what it means to belong to this covenant that I. But I'm seeing that through a mm-hmm. Second Temple Jesus lens. But that doesn't like we're not in Second Temple Judaism anymore today, and it's right. so complicated. And it's part of the reason why I appreciate finding my home in the evangelical space. Hmm. A, I was raised there. 
B, I, I mean, I don't know. I honestly, I'm still a mess. I'm still a mess right now as I try <laughs> to figure out what, who am I and where am I? And I love, I'm a part of this thing called Yahweh Yeshua. It's this messianic mm. um, community, order, belonging, whatever. Uh, that I'm a part of, and they they sit in this space all the time, and they're, hmm. I mean, it's it's Dr. Mark Kinzer. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he's he's kind of the guy that kind of leads it. Lee Spitzer, all kinds of folks, and I just love listening to them because they believe there's a place for this right now, 2022, 23. Um, this place mm-hmm. for Messianic Judaism and the role it's going to play in the relationship between Christianity as it exists today. Judaism exists today. Catholicism exists today. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they. Have, hmm. I'm just watching and listening and learning. Ephraim Radner. Like I'm just surrounded by these oh, voices. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so good. But I have no idea where any of this is going or where it lands. <laughs> I don't yep. know. I don't. And I just appreciate that question, Drew, because I don't. I'm just trying to hold it with as much humility and honesty and authenticity. This is what I think the scriptures are calling me to do to the best of my ability. I'm sure 20 years mm. from now, I'm going to be like, what an idiot 40-year-old Marty was. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, I felt like I understood theology fairly well when I came out of seminary. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then... And then I pastored for a while. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went and did doctoral studies. And then I met, <laughs> I got involved with all these academic Jew, Jewish yes. scholars. And uh, and I have to admit that, like, getting involved with J- Jewish scholarship, it blew every yeah. window and yeah. door out. And yeah, it muddled more than it clarified. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing a little bit more clarity these days. And I think it's worth it. Um, but I, you know, I just got back off a trip, a ten day trip with students to yep. Israel, uh, in the Palestinian territories, and like this, the, the big questions, like, wait, how can they be a Buddhist Jew? Right. You know, like students are just baffled yep. by this, right? Yep. And fifteen years soaking in it, it makes complete sense yep. to me now. But uh, trying to explain that to people in evangelical categories is is tricky. Yeah. Um, much less a Messianic Jew. Much hey, let's talk for a second about this because I'm in New York City. Uh, do you see, have you heard any discussion on that there is a massive messianic movement within Orthodox Judaism, uh, the Chabadniks, right? The, uh, yeah. they believe the Lubavitch is the Messiah. Yep. Uh, the stickers are even showing up in New York yep. now that, you know, the stickers they put on the back yep. of the road signs in Israel's. So like my question has been to my Jewish friends is wait, so are all messianic movements that are not clarified and correct at this point wrong or is it just the jesus message sure. movement have you heard any uh, clarification on that um i mean not ne- not clarification necessarily I-, I have been amazed it feels like there was a you know there was that movement a while you know decades ago um with the habaniks and then i feel like there's a whole new surge right now and i'm not sure what's driving mm-hmm. that but, yes there is something going yeah, on right and, now though but yeah i've never necessarily i've always kind of I mean, I get it. I, I would assume that they that most Orthodox Judaism is going to like view that with the same kind of fanatical, like okay, kind of roll of the eyes. I understand mm-hmm. that there's a more um, heated, um, whatever I'm trying to say. It, it's it's not apples to apples. Like I get that the right, rejection yeah. of the whole Jesus thing, and I understand historically why. So, uh, I, and I would even like be like, yeah, those probably aren't the same things but i i really absolutely kind of chuckle at the question because yes uh, it's a good one it's a good one 
so you make a distinction uh, quite regularly. Um, I'm hopping islands here into a completely uh-huh. different topic uh, between Eastern thought and Western thought. And I'll, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, yep, yep, good, good. And and then every once in a while I go, what is he counting as Eastern? Sure. Like, how, how far East? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Who, what groups are you including? What are you excluding? And why? Yeah, yeah. And 2016, Marty, that launched episode zero probably hmm. was far too reductionistic. Um, well, it's it's clear, right? right? So uh, anybody could follow you, and it's all the stuff, the talking yes. points that many of us make, but except for you were saying it in a way that was so clear that anybody yeah. could understand it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, it, it's absolutely, and i become even more aware of that. This uh, maturity is a fantastic thing. Um, growing in knowledge and whatever, maybe wisdom, but growing in knowledge is helpful to just realize like, <laughs> oh, goodness, that was... As a teacher, I realized why I simplified it. Some of that even came out of my mm-hmm. own ignorance. But yeah, and when I said Eastern, I was really trying to articulate Eastern as it related to uh, rabbinical Judaism. Mm. But even that, when I looked at it, I was like, well, I'm really still kind of seeing that filtered through a Hellenized, like a, a mm-hmm. Second Temple Hellenistic Judaism that's bringing, like, that's how Eastern even even was able to interface. Like, if we were truly talking Eastern Western, it would be right, difficult to right. have a conversation, but the fact that Judaism kind of Hellenizes it almost is able to interface with our Western concepts. We can talk about numbers. We can talk about numerology. We can talk about those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's when I said Eastern, I think on my slideshow, I said Hebrew and I was far more comfortable with that. But even then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. but which Hebrew are we talking about? Mm-hmm. We're talking about pre Sinai. We're we talking about mosaic. We're we talking about Davidic. We're we talking about exilic. What are we, what are we doing here? So, yeah. And again, for the journey of the podcast, that's exactly what it needs to be. We'll, we'll never pull apart those nuances because people just need to be like, Hey, there's something other than, you know, white American Westernism like out there. And that's just, that's just, (laughs) Oh, that's a good wake up call. Simplified as it is, but yes. How, how did you land on this journey of like, the, the clear teaching, the kind of helping people to understand these things that, that you had learned and seemed, had become so obvious to you? Like, what led you to be to the point where you start a podcast? I mean, okay, everybody started a yeah. podcast. Most people only last 10 episodes, yeah. but you're, you're trucking yeah. still. So. so I, I mean, I went through, I was going to Bible college at the rise of post-modernity. So we had a word that we were calling deconstruction. It wasn't quite being used the same way it is today. But that, I mean, I went through that same exact kind of phase Early in my own pastoral career, I was mid Bible mm-hmm. college, pastoring a church for a couple of years, and just all the, the I was raised in a Reformed tradition, and then I was obviously trained in like the opposite end of the theological spectrum. So all the categories were in front of me, and none of them were working. Like they all had these beautiful mm-hmm. things, but none of them. So I was kind of doing my own spin out. I'm not smoking when I'm selling. This is not good. And then, mm. and then somebody handed me, of all people, Rob Bell before he was this provocative figure. And what Rob was doing, I didn't realize it, but he was talking about things with a little bit more of a historical Jewish worldview. That's where I woke up to it. Through that, I got connected to Ray, went to Israel and Turkey. I had all this stuff. I was working at a church as like the director of outreach, mm. the church that connected me with Ray. So they were all behind it. There was no pushback there. But they were like, oh, but your job is this. It's really not to do that. That's mm. what pushed me into campus ministry. I wanted to experiment with some of these ideas, and I wanted to experiment with people that could say yes 
and make decisions without parents telling them no, but I also needed them not to have mortgages and marriages and three kids and a career. And so I got into campus ministry. This was like the study. Like I, we were, I'm just a teacher by heart, by gifting. Mm -hmm. And so I had started a study on campus. And then when I took the job as president of the organization, I had to start traveling so much. We weren't trying to start a podcast. We just I wanted to put it online so that the students had their content every Thursday. But mm. if I were in town or not in town, they could at least still study. And then we could do a discussion group whenever I was in town. And then the podcast just kind of took off eventually a couple of years later. And that was that. But yeah, that was my, uh, that was, I've just always, and, and I don't know, I think it's always been second nature to me. Something that I'll hear from Ray or something that I heard from Rob or something that just sparked I didn't, I don't know. I, I guess that's, I guess that's what I'm doing. I guess that's what I, what I'm giving to the world or trying to steward is the way that I package the information together. To me, it just makes sense. But to others are like, well, why, why, what caused you to do this? And I'm like, oh, right. This made sense. Start at the beginning. Let's go. Like, let's walk through the Bible. Let's, uh, I don't know. But yeah. Um, and I, I think most people, I don't, well, I don't know. I always speculate too wildly, but I think a lot of people would think, oh, campus ministry, you, you need to be doing like philosophy of religion, apologetics, you know, this kind of like shrewd slicing and dicing of ideas. Uh, but you're coming in with this kind of like, hey, there's this whole aspect of the scripture that we've been ignoring or we've been myopic about. And uh, so how did that sell? I wonder if, if students were fascinated or they used it as like the tool to overthrow their parents' religion mm -hmm. or all of the above. Yeah, all the above. And I think it worked for me because I was in the Pacific Northwest. I oh, was yeah, in yeah. certain evangelical spaces saying something in ways that still played by the evangelical spaces rules, but gave everybody else. It was like, I'm not buying. like it gave them space to. So it was really mm. um, all. And, and really, I, I don't say that super critically. I, I have to thank my evangelical fundamentalist upbringing for, because you're right, strategically, we should talk philosophy of religions, we should talk whatever. It would just be coming at it from the same cultural bent, which is fine, we need it. But where was the person going like, I believe in the Bible, not from a cold textual critical, which is also awesome, mm -hmm. but it was like, I was raised in a world that said, the Bible is everything, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And I was just like, okay, but we're not going deep enough on this Bible thing. We're mm -hmm. not. And I found the I found the help with the textual critics, but I felt like there was it was lacking the warmth of the fire of fundamentalism. I, I still feel like those two things go together. And if that's a space that yeah. I can fill and 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 occupy, I don't think those two are mutually exclusive as they've made themselves out to be. So, and yeah. because of that, I think it it's received well because there there's always people in that space. That more, right. I don't know if fundamentals is the right word, but that more evangelical space, I want to follow the Bible, that has this enough intellectual awareness, especially in the world of the internet, where we're like, hey, wait a minute, I got questions. And our systems aren't typically built to be like, well, we got space for questions. So if I can create one of those spaces, that's the most helpful thing that maybe we can do. Yeah, and I, I'm finding, you know, because I get a fresh batch of 18-year-olds in my classes every semester um, that really they there is this kind of respect for the Bible, but the knowledge of what it actually says and what it's doing is, you know, ground floor, if if that. Yeah. Uh, and so you're kind of, 
you, you don't even have to put the questions out there anymore. You just read the Bible out loud to them and go like, oh, did you notice that? And, you know, that causes enough anxiety for the, for evangelicals to go like, whoa, I got to rethink some yep. things. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. And I've found young people. You're right. I mean, biblical literacy, I don't know if that's even the right term here, but is weighed down. But not wonder, like not not yeah. respect, not hmm. like if you make it interesting at all, which if you can't make it interesting is a tragedy. But if you can make Bible interesting at all, people are people have no problem with Jesus or the Bible. People got a whole lot of problem right. with institutions and churches and the way we've lived it out and our doctrines and dogma and theology and all. But man, Jesus and the Bible are not two things that young people are like, ah, who cares? Uh, that's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's Jesus always, there's a, a musicologist named Delvin Case who I think he did a database on rock music that references Jesus, punk, rock, uh -huh. rockabilly, like everything through the generations. And like with very few exceptions, Jesus gets a positive or a neutral play sure. in, in popular yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the only negative comments that come along with Jesus is why his followers aren't sure. more like him. One hundred percent, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Changing topics again. Uh, I, in this this book, asking better questions of the Bible. A, you say asking better questions of the Bible, but I notice it's about the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> So I'm wondering if that was a intentional sleight of hand, uh, which I'm all on board with. Um, and then secondly, I'm really interested in your method in, in the sense of like this question, when do you know you've gone too far when it comes to kind of like, I don't want to say hidden meanings, but you know, um, meanings that seem to be intended by the author, but have to be discerned uh, by careful reading and understanding. Yeah. Um, so the first question, uh, yeah, I, di I didn't, I, I don't know if it's about the Hebrew Bible. I got two chapters in there. I got three chapters in there for New Testament. So we got true, Gospels and Paul and even Apocalypse. I, I would literature. say it's it's proportional to the actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really yeah. is trying to yeah. bring Bible to Bible um, to really represent the Bible and get that insight in there, um, which is kind of even true of the podcast journey too. But um, as far as the second question about going too far, I, you know, one of the things I've always told my students, and I try to make point of referencing it on the podcast as well, or this is why I stay connected to a local church body. That's hmm. my that's my accountability. It's why I stay in it. I'm going to be a part of some tradition. Right now, I happen to be a part of the Stone Campbell, um, you know, Christian churches, oh, yeah. Church of Christ tradition. I could go back to my Reformed roots tomorrow if I needed to. I could, but I'm going to be a part of some kind of traditional a a local faith community, but b a larger tradition and stream of thought because I need to be tethered to that. Because what I'm doing can't be strained too far from the larger, like, I believe the Holy Spirit's been at work, not just in Judaism. It's been at work in Christianity, very much so, mm. in spite of us at, at many times. But it's the Holy Spirit has he has been at work. Um, so I, I got to stay tied to my relationships. I got to stay tied to my church and my traditions. I got to stay tied to my theology and be in conversation with that theology. It needs to work. It shouldn't be some outlandish, out there, crazy it should be something that I can be breaking bread at the Eucharist table with folks that don't listen to my podcast, don't know anything about Judaism 
And I, this should be absolutely informing a life of faith that works right in fellowship with everything else. So I think that is, and, and then for me, I mean, I'm no academic. I have very few letters after my name, as in like none. Um, like my bachelor's degree is as good as it gets, uh, and it's not even that good. But so to be able, well, some of us had to go to a lot of grad school yeah, just to catch I, up. To I you, know. So. I know. <laughs> well, I don't even know about. We had catching to be taught up. the whole way through. Yeah. <laughs> I just love. Like if nobody else is, I do very little thinking on my own and not in this, co- like I, I think one of the ways I've matured, sorry, I'm all kinds of a hot mess with this question. No, I like it. I like, I like it. one of the ways that I've matured over the years is I used to like try to posture. I was insecure and I was young and I tried to act like I knew. Now I just love to connect with people that know, like your friend, Tom, um, like if we can connect people to those names and those experts and the folks that do like read those books. You're very few, not, they're not non-existent, but very few times will you see me coming up with my own ideas. I just love to share ideas and get inklings and then talk about it. Cause usually someone would be like, oh yeah, Dave Flusser talked about that. It's right over here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, James Dunn actually wrote a whole work on that. Oh, beautiful. So sometimes I'll come up with ideas that were never really my ideas. And that's just the beauty of the, the, the journey of figuring out where are the sources that's why at the end of every chapter, I try to have some chapters more than others. Like, here's the re- the works that have influenced me. Here's some other reading. But hopefully this is just going to open the door to a million other voices that are going to help us. Because people like me don't get to speak with any authority on the conclusions we're coming to. But maybe the questions help us out. And ironically, most academics um, are hesitant to speak with authority publicly, sure. like in the popular space, because yeah. we all we don't want to get machine gunned by our colleagues. And I've so. I've experienced that. I remember sitting at a table with Christian uh, Dr. Christian Brady from Penn State and talking to him about the world. It was kind of one of my first conversations with a true like PhD professor academic, and him talking about some of that. Me realizing. Maybe that's part of the beauty of this. I've often kind of like tongue in cheek talked about the Robin Hood of theology. Like that's where I feel like I live. Like I'm stealing from the theological rich to give to the, and there's this rogue and it is, it's, it's unrefined. It's kind of dangerous. What's my accountability. But as long as I remember like where I sit and where I don't sit and I facilitate, maybe that's the beauty of people like me is occupying a space where it's like, well, I got nothing to lose. Um, so here's an idea. And if that helps my friend at Princeton do it the right way, go through the academic procedures, get the, okay, that's awesome. Then, then maybe that's the part that we, and I suppose the danger is making sure that we don't let some stupid podcast hosts like me be the voice that's dictating. Like, let's just remember who's who and where we fit in the larger web of the work. Yeah, but I, I do think there are strategic advantages to people not being in who don't drink the Kool Aid of academia. Yeah, yep. because <laughs> uh, it can be deadly yep. at, uh, at points. Um, I mean, I do think there are insights even within academics. You know, you may you may have read uh, Mary Douglas's work on Leviticus. Uh, well, she's an anthropologist who came from outside of biblical sure. studies, into biblical studies. Robert Alter, who wrote <laughs> some of my favorite work on, well, he's not a biblical right. scholar, right? Right. Uh, in fact, when I interviewed him for a podcast. It was the first time I found out that he's never even taught a class on Hebrew Hebrew Bible. Right. Um, like this is all like a side hustle right. for him. Yep. Um, so like there's there's unique vantage points to people from the outside looking yep. in and kind of piecing together what people are saying. Uh, 
And certainly people who have the gift of pop, making it easy to understand for everybody yeah. because Lord knows that's not my gift. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, if you could put on Thanos's glove, I don't want to endorse anything <laughs> Marvel here because I'm not really a fan, but – uh, but it, but I did see that one movie. If you could put on Thanos's glove and snap your fingers and kill a theologian, no, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> kill all the biblical scholars who say no. Um, if you could kind of like zap people's minds and really like you know get them on board with what you think is better biblical reading rather than worse, we don't even have to talk about right and wrong. Um, what kinds of things would you snap for? Um, I, if we could, I don't even know how to articulate this, but here it goes. If we could stop coming at the Bible postured as though we're the ones that own it, mm-hmm. like we have just used the Bible to prop up, whether it's theologies, whatever makes us comfortable, whatever makes us powerful, whatever gives us influence. Like we have used the Bible and hmm. the Bible is just this, if we could restore our, our, our wonder, our awe, like it doesn't matter who, doesn't matter if we're a PhD theologian, doesn't matter if we're a believer or not a believer, doesn't matter if we claim to speak for God or don't know anything or anybody that comes to the scriptures are going to be provoked by it, should be, should, should come mm-hmm. to it knowing that this book is meaning to provoke us, transform us, confront us teach us something new like and i got to be careful sometimes that i don't push the bible too high into a place of worship that maybe it shouldn't occupy mm-hmm. but it sits kind of between it is you know the sword of the spirit which is the word of god it is this it is this thing that god is using to try to break through to us and it's one of the ways that the spirit of god moves in our hearts and in the worlds and through god's people and I just feel like we we put we just get that hierarchy mixed up. We we don't mm. submit ourselves, and again, not in a place of Lord like there. But man, we just use it as a tool. Like we act like we're the yeah. ones that are wielding it. We're the ones that can proof text it. We're the ones that can. And if we could just come to the Bible every time and go, it's gonna, it's it's coming here to shake stuff up. It's coming here to mess me up, um, mm-hmm. in a beautiful way, in a way that I can trust it and it's safe. That's the thing that I wish, because if we would read the Bible that way, we would quit using it to justify nonsense, because we use mm-hmm. it to justify nonsense after nonsense after nonsense, when we all know how how easy, how straightforward, and how simple, maybe not easy, maybe not even simple, I don't know, love God, love people. This whole thing should make me more loving, a more loving expression of who God is in the world. That's what the Bible should be doing. Genesis. Isaiah, Mark, Thessalonians. It should all be making me a more loving, more whole, more self-reflective person. That's a safer, I don't know. And and for some reason, the people that claim to speak for the Bible are some of the, often, it feels like we're coming to grips mm-hmm. with some of the most twisted, power-hungry, destructive, abusive, ah, man. So, but if we were truly coming to the Bible with an authentic, I'm here to be changed. I just, I can't imagine that the fruit would be what we're seeing today. Yeah. As a friend of mine, David Jackson likes to say the the Bible should be all up in our business. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Even though you don't want it to be. Yep. Um, Finally, uh, 
from your vantage point, looking out in the world and all the people you've known and, and encountered in the last few years as your kind of your platform has grown. I know I, we, you and I probably both hate that term, yeah. uh, but it's a reality, yep. right? People are listening to yep. you. Um, what gives you hope? What makes you excited? Uh, I think this wave and world of deconstruction is beautiful. I think a world where the internet has made it so easy to share stories. I know it feels dangerous. I know, I know that there's some counter weights that we need to, what, but it's just, it's good. Um, I think it decentralizes. I, I hate to say decentralizes power. Like I'm making, some, <laughs> but it does. It decentralizes the power. You're so woke. <laughs> I know. De- Marty woke Solomon. You heard it here right. first. Uh, but it does. It decentralizes the power that so often we used to just be able to coalesce around something. Um, I, we're just, it's a, I think of the innovation of Gen Z. I think of the ability of technology. I think of everything in the world from creation care to the things that we have in front of us that we're going to have to, and spirituality of the world of religion or faith expression is just going to be one of those. Um, we're either doomed or we live in a great time, and I just want to equip this young generation that is standing here with the tools to help us build a better world because we're going to be we're we're going to be okay. And I, I'm yeah. I'm just when I look at everything that we're freaking out about, I, I say this is going to be a part though. This is going to be a part of whatever needed to happen because there's a whole lot that needed to happen, and this is going to help us get there. So I don't know. I don't know where it's going, but I'm I do have a lot of hope. I do. I mean, I, I also remind students that, you know, people my age were raised by people who literally chanted out loud, don't trust anybody over 30. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and look, we all turned out okay. Yeah, we did. We made it. <laughs> Not great, but we turned out we okay. We made it. Marty Solomon, thank you so much for giving us your time, your wisdom, the Bama podcast, and uh, how you're serving the church through that, uh, that work. We thank you for everything you've given us. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.